Amen. Amen. Can we turn tonight to the um, Psalm 127? We're looking at these songs of degrees or songs of ascent, and we're sort of come to the middle here in Psalm 127, and we'll just read just five verses of the Psalm. Psalm 127, beginning our reading at verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Amen. And we know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious and infallible word to our hearts for his name's sake. Now, the Psalm 127, we say, lies at the heart of the songs of degrees or the songs of ascent. It is the only psalm in the songs of degrees that is attributed to King Solomon. In fact, you find his name hidden in the text, uh, like the uh, artist that signs the canvas. Uh, we find the name of Solomon here. And if you look at the verse, uh, the verse 2 there, it says, For so he giveth his beloved sleep. And that word, his beloved, is the Hebrew word Judida, which was the name beloved which God gave to Solomon in Second Samuel, Samuel 12 and 25. And we've been thinking about these Psalms, and we think about them as they're sung, as the pilgrims are making their way up to Jerusalem in the different feasts, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of um, Tabernacles, or the Feast of Weeks. And all of these uh, uh, songs were sung by these people on the journey. And to our Western understanding, we might wonder why they would have been think, singing about these things here, the uh, building a house, um, keeping watch over a city, or about uh, the children that we have in our home. Why would you be singing about those things on the way when you're going up to Jerusalem and going up to worship the Lord? But I want you to see that if you look at the um, psalm, you'll find that there is a theme that runs through the psalm, and that is the fact that the, the, how, uh, the um, subject is the uplifting and glorifying of God in his proper place. When we give the Lord his proper place, he says, except the Lord build the house, except the Lord keep the city. And he says, the children then are in heritage of the Lord. And you can see that in the three parts or the three subjects that you have in the psalm, there is a common theme, and that is that God is the one to whom we look for all of our needs. And so there is a unity to this psalm, and I emphasize that because many of the critics would have looked at the psalm, and when you look at the first part of the psalm, it's about building and keeping a city, 
And the second part of the psalm from verse 3 is about children. And there are many of the critics who have looked at that and they've said, well, there's no real theme here. There's no unity. And it must have been two psalms or two poems that have been sort of forced together. And they felt that this is the reason why uh, th that the author or the, uh, the compiler of the psalms forced two psalms together, and they don't really go together in the mind of the critic. And that's the way the critics think. But when we do look at the psalm, we find that there is this united theme of the fact that we look to God. Without God, we can do nothing. That's really the message that we have in the psalm. And then there's another thing that indicates the unity of the psalm. In, that, uh, in the Hebrew poetry, they often would have um, used similar sounding names. They used to love the play on words. And if you think about the first part of the psalm, it speaks about the builder, really, and except the Lord build a house. And the Hebrew word for builder there is bonim. And then if you go down to the verse 3, it says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord. But in the Hebrew, really, it says, Lo, sons are a heritage of the Lord. And the word sons there is banim, bonim, banim. And so there's this play on words that you can see going through the psalm. So the psalm is a unity. And as we say, what we're being taught here is that if you leave the Lord out of your life, uh, all that you do will be vain. And the word vain occurs a number of times, three times in the psalm. It means something of no value or no worth. So if you leave the Lord out, if you don't give the Lord the proper place in your life, then your life will really amount to nothing. It'll be vain. And that's the message that comes through here in this portion of Scripture and it's really the counterpart. We said that Solomon um, is the author, probably, of the psalm. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said that uh, without God, life is vanity. Well, here we have the other side of the coin. And in the psalm, here the King Solomon is saying, with the Lord, life is full. And really, you have the counterpart of the book of Ecclesiastes. So we want to look at the Psalm 127. The first part deals with God's blessing or provision for the work. And the second part deals with God's blessing and provision for the home. Now, there are a number of things just that we want to see in the Psalm 127. And the first thing is the critical consideration. And we want to think about what the psalm, we sort of already hinted at the fact that the psalm is about giving the Lord the great place in your life. But look at verses 1 and 2. He says, Except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Now, what he's emphasized here is that without God, your work is vain. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain. Except the Lord keep 
the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. The word house there can include a physical house, a building that we build, but uh, even in our own language, in English, we think about the house of Windsor, or uh, in a school you can have the pupils divided into houses, and it speaks about people, and really the city or the house is made up of people, and so we can see that that thought is here. It's not just the physical building of a house or a a physical building, but we can include uh, a family, or we can include uh, a group of people. And what, what the message of the psalm is, is no matter what you build, no matter what you're doing, if you do it without God, then it's useless. Without me, the Lord Jesus said, ye can do nothing. And the psalmist is not saying here that there's no place for a builder or a watchman. He's, he's not giving us a license to be lazy. The builder and the watchman are definitely needed. The work of God is done by instruments. He told his disciples to into all the world and preach the gospel. And the Lord tells us that we're laborers together with him. So we are to labor. The labor is needed. But what he's saying here, that all the labor and all the watchfulness in the world will be useless if we do it without God. We need God as the very center of our lives. You remember how the Lord's brother, James, spoke against the arrogance of living your life and taking the Lord for granted. In James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17, he says, Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall do this or that. And the uh, verse here speaks specifically about building a house. And it says in Hebrews 3 and 4, For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And so what he's saying here, no matter what you start, whether it's starting school, starting a new job, a new project, a new relationship, he's really saying don't do it without God. Make sure that God is in the center of all that you do. Make sure that you bring everything to the Lord in the place of prayer. Now, are we saying that um, no matter what anybody does, without God is not going to succeed? No, we're not saying that. But uh, in many ways, it, it is going to be harder. Many a project has been marred by sin, where greed has entered in, or fraud has entered in, or because uh, relationships have broken down, because jealousy has entered in, or because animosity has come in in some way. So many great projects, and you think maybe of institutions of days gone by, or even companies that were uh, at the height of their power a few years ago, and those things have failed. And very often, and almost inevitably, those things are brought down by sin. But we're not saying that there are empires that have been built by people who don't know the Lord and are not putting the Lord the center of their lives. But what we are saying is that anything that is built without God 
will have no eternal value. That's the crux. That's the basic meaning. It's, it's not going to stand the test of eternity. It's not going to glorify God. And therefore, it is vain. And the psalmist echoes the word vain three times in the middle of the psalm. But you notice the two things that he mentions. He mentions building a house here. And in Ecclesiastes, we have a, a man that is faced with the monotony of life. And he has great success. But at the end of the day, he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanities. And Solomon's message in Ecclesiastes is just as relevant today. Um, many people say, if I could make more money, if I could have more pleasure, if I had more success, I would be happy. Solomon says uh, he tried all of those things, but it didn't work. Uh, we think of what it says in Proverbs 16 and 13, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. So here he is, he's building a house, building a physical or a family or an institutional house. He says it's being without the Lord. So building, that's building in vain. But also there's watching in vain. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. And this has to do with guarding or maintaining what the Lord has already given us or what already has been built. And if you want God's blessing on, uh, and provision in your work, then again, we need the Lord, especially in the work of God. We can't build anything that's going to last or we can't maintain anything that's going to last unless the Lord is at the very center. And that's why we come to seek the Lord at the throne of grace and prayer, to commit everything to the Lord. The great wall of China was built to defend China from outside invaders. The wall was 4,000 miles long, sometimes 20 feet in width. Uh, it ranges between 12 and 40 feet in places. That's about as secure as you could get. But the, Mo the Mongols still got into China. You... Uh, Wonder how they could breach the walls. Well, they didn't breach the walls. What they did was that they bribed the guards. And you know, the watchman can stand guard all the want, and we can have the greatest fortress against the enemy. But if it's not the Lord that is guarding, then everything will be in vain. Thomas Manton wrote, Labor without God cannot prosper, and labor against God will surely fail. So what we need to do today is to acknowledge that everything that we do and everything that we have comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And I wonder tonight, is our family committed to God? Is our work uh, committed to God? Is uh, our interests committed to God? Are those things that we know that God would want us to do? Are we following the leading of God in his word? Is God at the center of all that we are and have? So we see something here uh, about the uh, critical consideration. But then I want you to see something else in the psalm. 
Not only do we have this critical consideration, but there is a conspicuous calm. Look now at verse 2. He says, It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. God grants sleep. God grants calm to those that he loves. And you think they are about the enemy of calm. He speaks about those that rise up early and sit up late. And really the thought here is of somebody who's filled with anxiety, filled with turmoil, always filled with fear, and there's never any sense of rest in their lives. They get up at night and they are filled with the problems of the day and the next day, and there's never any sense of rest or abatement in the fears that we have and we rise up early, and we stay up late, and this is the third time in the psalm that it speaks about something that is in vain, and that's vain. And really what he's saying here, here is a person, and they're struggling with the efforts of life, and they're putting everything into life, and spending all the hours that God gives in order to further themselves, and to try and get somewhere, and there's no rest. They are filled with that sense of fear. And you see the enemy of calm here is like somebody trying to burn candles at both ends. Whereas what we need to do is ask God for more wax. We can working harder isn't the answer. It is the power of God. It's the blessing of God that we need. We can work all we want, and we can uh, preach all we want, and we can knock doors all we want, but unless we have the blessing of God, we have nothing. There's no value in overworking. It says in Psalm 3, verses 5 to 6, I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. There is the rest. There's the calm. He's not looking to himself and to his labor and to try and get himself out of the problem. He can rest. He can sleep because he says, uh, I'm not afraid of the ten thousands of people that have set uh, um, themselves round about me, for the Lord sustained me. In Psalm 4 and 8, I will Both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me to dwell in safety. So there's the enemy of calm, this anxiety and fear. But then I want you to see the explanation of calm. It says, for he, that's God, giveth his beloved sleep. The Bible says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Scientists don't really understand sleep. Well, they can tell you what will happen if you don't get enough sleep. They can tell you about the risk of premature aging, weight gain, diseases, strokes, flus, colds, anything at all. Weight gain, diseases, if you don't get enough sleep. Our bodies are designed to sleep, and God has uh, given that blessing so that we replenish our energy and we rebuild and restore the cells 
and the sleep reorganizes all the information in our brains so that very often when you get up in the morning, when you've slept on upon a thing, suddenly the answer comes because the brain has been rested. Most animals will know that we need to sleep. You think of what it says in Psalm 104, verses 90 to 23. It says, He appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knoweth his going down. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their meat from God. The sun riseth, they gather themselves together and lay them down in their dens. Man goeth forth into his work and to his labor until evening. So here, here's the animals, they're laying themselves down in their dens, and man goeth forth to his work. And you know, so often we, we uh, do not take the word of God for granted. You think about it, we need eight hours sleep. Why do we need eight hours sleep? It's about a third of the 24 hours that we have. How much we could get done in that eight hours if we didn't have to sleep. We are made in the image of God. But God doesn't sleep. He never slumbers nor sleeps. So why does God design us who are made in the image of God that we have to sleep for eight hours during the 24-hour period? And the answer is simple. Because God wants to teach us that we need to rely upon him. Because if we were just to uh, go on and uh, labor in our own strength and by our own power, we would never think about God. But at any one time, half the world is sleeping. And it's just to show us that God is in control of all things and we have to rely upon him. And we think of this sleep that God gives us. You know, it's one of the blessings. Proverbs 10 verse 22 says, It is the blessing of the Lord, or the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich and addeth no sorrow with it. There are the two extremes. There's the workaholic and the shirkaholic. And both of them are wrong. And we need uh, to work. Certainly do. But also, we need rest. And that's what God has laid down for us in his word. He giveth his beloved sleep. But then I want you to see the third thing in the psalm. There is the comfort of children. Look at verses 3 to 5 of the psalm. He says, Lo, children are in heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Now, I want you to see the children are a blessing. And you'll notice that God gives the children their inheritance of the Lord. We'll come to that in a wee minute. But I want you to see that children are a blessing. They're not a burden. It seems that in the present world in which we live, many people are coming more and more to the thought that children are a burden rather than a blessing. Uh, some people think that to have children is to take the fun out of your life, to take the liberty out of your life. Many parents would much rather have their children in front of a screen than to uh, uh, actually engage with them. In 2022, the birth rate in Britain is as low as it has ever been. 
Married couples are waiting longer to have children than ever before. Many are, uh, many are unnecessarily agitated when toddlers pout or kids act like kids. And we go into restaurants or in airplanes and when they make a noise and people get annoyed because they feel their children should be uh, put into a corner. That's the view that many have in society of today. They're just a burden. Or maybe there are people who are afraid to bring children into the world. You look at the world at the present time, and we look at all of the awful things that are taking place and the change in society and its attitude. And maybe we say, well, maybe we shouldn't. It would be irresponsible to bring children into a world like that. But uh, many people, and we look at the world, and we are afraid for our children, for our grandchildren. But that's not a reason not to have children. After all, you think Moses was born when Pharaoh had said that all the male children of the children of Israel should be put to death when they were slaves. And the prospect for Moses was uh, that he was going to be a slave. And yet, we think of how God brought Moses and made him into the deliverer that he was. You think of Noah and his wife. And they lived in an awful society that was full of sin and it was full of uh, rebellion against God. But if, if Noah and his wife hadn't had children, then there wouldn't have been any posterity and the whole human race would have been wiped out. So it's not a reason not to have children. Some folks look at children who have rebelled against their parents and they say, well, I couldn't go through any of that. All the heartache that children bring, all of the worry and the sleepless nights. And sometimes there is worry in sleepless nights. But we want to see that children are a heritage of the Lord. They are a gift from God. And the population in our land is going down. And yet we need to recognize that the, this is a gift from God. Many folks maybe see their children as a blessing, but a selfish blessing, they, they, just to keep the name or as helpers around the house or something like that. But uh, some people see it as a status symbol. Maybe it looks great, good to friends or family. But we see, as God says, children are a heritage of the Lord. We see the blessing of children. But look at what we're going to call the belonging of children. What does the word heritage mean? Well, it, Webster's Dictionary defines it as a property inherited or a legacy. So it is given, the children are given to us by God. Children are the Lord's inheritance to us. They don't really as it were, belong to us. We are stewards of our children. Children are what God has given us, and we are to look after them and bring them up in such a way as they honor the name of God and they honor the Lord. And we see that, and that's a very important principle. Not only do we see the blessing of children and the belonging of children, but I want you to think about the betterment of children. Verse 4 and 5 says, As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. 
They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. And the thought here he, uh, as of the uh, children being as arrows. In those days, when the uh, warrior was looking for arrows, he would make his arrows. He would take a, uh, a stick or um, they would take a branch from the tree. He would whittle it. He would uh, form it into a straight arrow. He would then put the point on the arrow. He would make sure that it had a good, uh, strong point. Uh, in the early days, it would have been just a point whittled out of the thing. Or later, they would have formed uh, the arrows out of metals and put the arrow, on, or the head of the arrow, the point of the arrow on top of the arrow. They would have put the feathers in the arrow so that it was going to go straight. And then they would take the bow and they would shoot the arrow at the target. And then the arrow left the uh, archer. And it is the same with our children. We want to shoot them straight and we want to have them sharpened so that they have, so that they are effective, so that they are useful, and that they fly straight and that they hit the target. Now, what is the target? Well, we think of what it says in 3 John verse 4. John says, I have no greater joy to hear that my children walk in truth. That's the target. That's what we're shooting at. That's what we're aiming at. But in order to get the children to the target, we need to make sure that they are straight and that they have a good pointy uh, sharpness to them. First of all, they need to be uh, they need to be shaped. Our children need to be shaped. In First Thessalonians 2 verse 11, Paul says, As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. Paul says that a father comforts and charges his children. It says in Ephesians 6 and 4, And ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath, Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We are to sheep, shape the children. And we are to make sure that they love the Lord and that they know uh, that they are uh, the Lord's and that they're saved by the grace of God. We shape our children. And then we sharpen our children. Proverbs 22, verse 6, Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. The question of the hour is not what our children are going to be, but rather what does the Lord want our children to be? And how can he use me to shape them into what they need to be? And so we need to invest time in our children. And we uh, need to uh, make sure that they are taught in the things of God particularly. And we need to bring them to where the word of God is taught and where uh, they uh, and uh, encourage them to teach themselves in the things of God and uh, encourage them to be among good friends and that they'll have biblical morals and that they'll have a biblical worldview. And we need to take time in the training. Now, children are prone to a lot of things and uh, they do take training 
There are many distractions in the world. There is technology that distracts and peer pressure that distracts. And if we don't keep our eye upon the job, it'll not be long until the children are not on the straight path. They're not flying towards the target that we said to walk in truth. They'll not be going towards the, ch- the target. And that's why uh, time needs to be invested and why we need to make sure that our children understand the things of God and know what is the most important thing in life. Not what job they have or what career, what they do, uh, but to make sure that they don't make shipwreck and that they don't end up in a life that counts for nothing. Because the only thing, as the hymn writer said, only what's done for Christ will last. But your children and my children are a heritage. They're a gift. Uh, And they are a gift that God has given to us. And we recognize that even in the family life, we speak there about, uh, if we take the building there to be an actual building, uh, there really is the uh, practical life, and then the watchman, that's the security life, and then there's the family life. And in all three, God has to be the very center. It's going to stand for anything. It's going to meet the test of eternity. Then the Lord has to be the center of everything. And that's the teaching of the psalm. And may the Lord be the center of our lives. May God write his word upon our hearts for his namesake this evening. Now let's unite together, please, at the throne of grace in prayer, and let's seek the help of God as we uh, come into his presence. Pray for the meetings as they continue. Do pray for the Balnehinch mission. It starts on the 23rd of October, going to the 6th of November, and Mr. Noel Shields and Mr. Colin Maxwell are the evangelists. Um, There's a letter here from our sister Joy Gillespie. She's back in uh, Nepal. Um, She is back um, doing her her, um, English teaching work. Uh, That's the way that she's got into the land because she can't go in as a Christian missionary. Uh, But she says that on the 18th of October, um, uh, there uh, are... There's a a Bible conference. Uh, Pray for those who will travel to join uh, with them in Nepal. Uh, Also, there's a group coming from Ulster in November to open the new radio station for Let the Bible Speak. And she says, pray that the licenses uh, will have been acquired for that for then. There's a list of uh, prayer requests at the end of this letter. It says, pray God for the renewal of of, uh, her business visa. She had an inspection. She said, went well. Pray for the upcoming parliamentary elections in November. Remember the search. She's looking for uh, an English teacher to work with her uh, and uh, for a flow of new students. Pray for the weekly article in the paper. 
Pray for the orphanage, the precious children's home. Pray for the new Let the Bible Speak station. Um, Sarita is one of the uh, adopted children of the Reverend Thapa. She is qualified now as a doctor. She's doing a practical year in Bangladesh, and then she'll come back to Nepal, and she has to do a practical year and an exam to qualify to be a minister or to be a doctor in Nepal. But she has still the vision to go out into the tribal areas working as a doctor, but also to bring the gospel uh, when she is doing that work. Pray for the Reverend Thap and all the ministers as they lead the church. Pray for the Bible College as it plans to reopen in October. So you can remember the work in Nepal and remember the work in Spain and the Reverend Alvarez as he labors there as well. So let's unite together at the throne of grace in prayer. Our loving God and our that God is on the throne and we pray that